and a name. With each child we have added to our family, my parents have labored over names. In today's culture, names are often looked upon as labels to be created on a whim and played with like a child's toy. Children's names are often chosen because they're popular or because they sound interesting. You could name a child just about anything and it would be socially acceptable. In past generations, names were often given in honor of an elder or loved one. For example, my dad has the same middle name as his uncle, his cousin, his grandfather, and several more of his ancestors. My brother's middle name is the same as my grandfather's first name was. It's a great honor to have a child named after you. Dad recently had that same honor happen to him. God moved through one of my dad's prayers and in gratitude, someone in a different country named a newborn baby after him. What a gift. But in Bible times, names were often a prophetic revelation of the character and personality of a person. Naming a child was never taken lightly. It was a really big deal. What you're hearing in the background is the beginning of the book of Genesis in Hebrew. As you probably know, the main language of the Old Testament was Hebrew. This was the language God chose to use to reveal himself to mankind. So learning the names God chose for himself in Hebrew will help us understand who he really is. Grab a Bible and a notepad because you're about to dig into some really good stuff. This could change your life. I'm Palin Land and this is Landline. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 8, verse 9. Therefore the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will send a wasting disease upon his sturdy warriors. Under his pump a fire will be kindled like a blazing flame. Isaiah ten sixteen. See, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will lop off the boughs with great power. The lofty trees will be felled. The tall ones will be brought low. Isaiah 10, 33. What do these three verses have in common? Each one talks about the Lord. We use the English term Lord to describe God. But the Hebrew term used in these verses is Adonai. In our quest to learn more about God, to learn who He is, we are looking at the names that He used to reveal Himself in Scripture. We believe that Scripture is God-breathed. 
though men penned Scripture, the words that were used were given to them by God Himself. The Holy Spirit anointed and inspired what is in the Bible today. So why did God choose the name Adonai? Let's look a little deeper into the meaning of the word. Put simply, Adonai is a plural form of the word Adon, which means master or lord. It conveys the idea of rulership or dominion. When we look at these verses this way, it makes a difference in how we read the scripture. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. O Lord, our Adonai, how majestic is your name in all the earth. O Lord, our Master, how majestic is your name in all the earth. O Lord, our Ruler, how majestic is your name in all the earth. O Lord, you who have dominion over us, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Verse 6. Now the word Lord in the Old Testament, when it's used of God, it always starts with a capital L. And then you have your lowercase O-R-D. Capital L, lowercase O-R-D. When used of men, the word Lord is all lowercase, L-O-R-D. The Hebrew word Adon, meaning Lord or Master, is often used for men in Scripture. It's not only applied to God. When a person is a master or lord over people, the word Adon comes into play. In Genesis 24, verse 9, it says, So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, Adon, and swore to him concerning this matter. We even see that Sarah, the wife of Abraham, called him Lord at times. Scripture says Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? Using the term Adon, or Lord, Master. Pastor Tony Evans says this, Pronounced Adonai, the term is derived from the singular Adon, or Lord. This term was pronounced by the Jews in substitution of Yahweh, which was considered too sacred to be uttered. The name Adonai is found over 400 times in the Bible, and its meaning is revelatory in nature. The name comes from the singular word Adon, which translates as master or ruler. It contains the concepts of dominion, rulership, and ownership. The cultural background of the word Adon is associated with humanity and deals with masters who own slaves. Yet it didn't merely connote ownership. It also bore within the name a certain responsibility for the care and well-being of that which was owned. The master was to provide for, to protect, to guide, and to maximize that which he owned. Thus, when God is referred to in Scripture as the plural form, Adonai, he is referenced as owner. The psalmist pins in chapter 97 that God is, quote, the Adonai of the whole earth, end quote. He is not only the creator, Elohim, but he is also the owner, Adonai. 
God reveals this ownership through his word, quote, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills, end quote. Psalm 50, verse 10. Tony Evans continues and says, Since God is the absolute ruler and owner, our response to his name comes through the surrender of submission. Submission is a powerful tool when coupled with an all-powerful Adonai God. Unfortunately, too many Christians today have settled for Jehovah without experiencing the full power of Adonai. This is because to experience all that God as ruler master and owner over your life can do for you, you have to knowingly, willingly surrender before him. That means he gets to call the shots. He gets to have the final say in your decisions. His perspective is the perspective you utilize in making your choices and in how you use your time. This is Palin. We want to thank you for joining us on Landline. Your host is my dad, Michael Land. Our theme music is by Todd Benjamin from his album, Understanding. All bumper music is edited by Michael Land. Landline is an audio outreach of Foundation Christian Ministries. Our goal is to reach as many people for Jesus as he allows us to. And Landline is one way we can do that. Please take a moment to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and family on social media. The more people who regularly listen to Landline, the more podcast platforms will carry us. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, please send an email to landline at foundationchristianministries.com. Thanks again for listening. And now, back to the today. I think she did a great job. She's eight years old and she just loves to uh, be involved in what we're doing here. In fact, you'll notice that over the past several weeks, my children have become more and more involved in each recording. And there's a reason for that. I want to raise my family to minister to others. I want to raise my family to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to raise my family with an appreciation for truth. And so as my children become old enough, there are four of them, and the youngest one is two, so obviously she can't contribute a whole lot to uh, what we're saying on the podcast, but 
uh, as it's not just for the cute factor, although I do think they're pretty cute. Um, I am sharing my children with you because I'm sharing the process of ministering with my children. And I hope, hope that it uh, makes a connection with you and that uh, you enjoy it and you stick with us. Uh, I also wanted to thank my very, very dear friend, Rabbi Dan Stitt. That was his baritone voice speaking Hebrew, uh, reading from the beginning of Genesis uh, about the first day. I asked Rabbi Dan to uh, record that for me because, uh, number one, I don't speak Hebrew. And <laughs> number two, uh, he is a very dear friend who uh, has a lot of knowledge uh, in the things of the Old Testament. Rabbi Dan is a practicing Messianic Jew. He has led synagogues in our area, and he's been a very dear friend of mine for a long time. He and his family mean so much to my family. He is uh, very knowledgeable, as I said, in the things of the Old Testament. He has a little different perspective. Being a Messianic Jew, he believes that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he is the Savior of the world. He is a born-again child of God. But he brings a bit of a different perspective because of his understanding of the Old Testament in Hebrew. And being involved in the traditions of the Jewish people, he can explain things in ways that I can't and open our eyes to uh, how the Old Testament actually shows us Jesus Christ. The other thing I want to discuss very quickly before we move on to the matter at hand is the fact that you're going to hear a little difference in style in our podcast uh, from here on forward. And the reason is this, and I'll explain it. Uh, you've probably noticed that we've been silent for the past several weeks, and there are several reasons for that. But one of them is that I found that I was feeling very constricted in my approach to uh, uh, teaching, to preaching. I'm a preacher. And I come from a very energetic preaching background. Um, in previous episodes, you probably have noticed that things sounded very scripted, and that's because they were. I would sit down and write. I love to write. But we tend to sound a lot different when we read versus when we just talk from our hearts. Normally, if I stand behind a pulpit, I have notes uh, in outline form, and most of what I say just comes out. I don't read a lot uh, during the time of presentation. I read a lot before, but while I was talking to you on the podcast, I had almost word for word everything scripted out. That's just not my personality, and it was very frustrating to me. So what you're going to hear from here on out is more the standard style of my speaking. I like to be real. I like to be transparent, and I like to be fairly spontaneous in my presentation. There will be a lot less editing involved if I just say what's on my heart. Uh, you might hear a lot more ums and ahs and uh, slight pauses and stuff, and I'll cut some of those out, but uh, it'll be a lot smoother, I think, and hopefully make more of a connection, and uh, you'll get to hear from my heart. So enough about me, enough about the podcast. Let's talk about the reason we're here. We are studying God. Um, for those of you who don't know, that is the very definition of the term theology. A lot of people don't think theology is important for every Christian. However, the Bible instructs us to know who God is. The Bible instructs us 
to study him. The Bible instructs us to build a relationship with him. That is theology, the knowledge of God. And honestly, if you and I were dating and I wrote you 66 letters to explain who I am and to share with you my heart and on our wedding day, we, uh, I found out that you hadn't read any of them. Chances are I wouldn't think you love me very much. So as people who claim to know and love God, we want to know him better. So we're digging deep into the names that God used to reveal himself in Scripture. We're going to start with the, with the name Adonai. And there's a reason I'm starting with this one. Because it kind of lays the foundation for many of the others. As you know, the term God is more of a general term and doesn't specifically name God. In fact, I was talking to my friend Rabbi Dan the other day, and you know, we often mispronounce uh, Yahweh, which is the typical way that we would say it. Uh, he was explaining to me, and I'll let him explain it to you at some point. But... Uh, at the time that Western theologians were trying to translate some of the Hebrew terms, and you have to remember that the Hebrew was kind of a silent language for a long time after the dispersion of the, of the Hebrew people. When the Western theologians came to the Jews and they said, this is what we're thinking. These are the sounds that we believe that these these letters in the Hebrew language make, they were asking men who refused to pronounce the name of God, to utter the name of God, simply because of respect. It was considered disrespectful to utter the name of God. So the way Rabbi Dan explained it, when the Western scholars said, is this the way to pronounce it, the there was no way those Hebrew scholars were going to say, oh, yeah, you pronounce it this way, because they felt it was disrespectful and almost blasphemous to pronounce the name of God. So they kind of shrugged their shoulders and said, sure, that's how you do it. And we've been mispronouncing it ever since, apparently. But today I want to talk about Adonai. Adonai is used many times in the Bible and is a very powerful name. And the thing I like about this study, and I, I'm talking more about the study than about the topic, honestly. The thing I like about this study is the more I dig into the meanings of the different names that God used to describe himself in Scripture, the more I get to know his attributes and the more I get to be excited about who he really is. And, I, and my faith is building as I study this. So that's what I'm hoping to accomplish in your life as well. So as we look at Adonai, it's more than just a name. The first use of the term Adonai was in Genesis chapter 15, when God is talking with Abram. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Now, it seems like a fairly obscure moment, a fairly obscure 
part of a conversation, a little soundbite. However, when Abram responded to God and he said, oh, Lord God, he actually said, oh, Adonai. Why did he choose that term? Adonai actually means Lord or master or owner. It demonstrates ownership. It demonstrates control. It demonstrates more than that, though. It speaks of a relationship. God has total possession. He is the master, the owner. We don't have lords in our lives today, I mean, other than maybe a landlord, which is a fairly decent uh, uh, description of it. The person owns the property and you kind of answer to them in what you do on that property. However, in this sense, Lord, master, owner, king, almost like a slaveholder. You own me. Everything I am is yours. Everything I do is yours. But it speaks of a relationship because his ownership of us involves our submission to him. So to, to call him Adonai is to say not only that you are my master, but also to say that I submit to you. I give you my will. I will do as you say. I will go where you lead. I will follow your will. I will follow your word. I will follow your commands, your precepts. Adonai has a deep and abiding meaning. So God was saying to Abram, here, I'm going to do this for you. And Abram submitted himself to God and said, Adonai. He was bowing his heart, not just his body, but his heart before God. Of the many names that we use for God, of the many concepts that are in Scripture for God, we love the powerful God, we love the protector God, we love the provider God, we love all of these other aspects, but we so often neglect the owner, the master, the one to whom we submit. Just like Jesus said to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. This is what Adonai represents. But it also is very exciting because the term Adonai not only means ruler and master and Lord, but it also indicates a level of relationship to where the ruler, master, and Lord has agreed to provide for, to protect, to steward the one who's owned. Abram addressed God as Adonai or master. The master has the right of possession and the one possessed is charged with submission to God, his master. Now, we're in a Western society. We don't like to submit to anyone. That's not just a Western thing. That's a, that's a human nature thing, which is why the scripture talks very much about submission. However, the more Western the culture the more rebellious we tend to be in our hearts and the harder it is to bow because honestly, bowing before a king is not something that we do. I bow to no man, I hear people say. That's right, I bow to no man. But I bow my heart to God, I submit my heart to God because the more I know him, the more I trust him, the more I believe in him, the more he 
proves himself to me and I submit myself to him because he is the owner, the creator, the master, the Lord of everything that is in me. To look a little farther forward in Genesis 15, we talked about Abram calling God Adonai and saying, what will you give me for I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my, my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him after Abram submitted to himself and acknowledged God's ownership over him. Verse four says, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Now this is the God he just submitted himself to. This is the God he'd acknowledged has ownership over him. The word of the Lord came to him, quote, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Do you see the relationship here? The submission to God, the master, the owner, and then the provision and the blessing that comes from that submission? Adonai, our God, our master, our ruler, our king, our leader, is our provider, is our protector, is the promise keeper. If we jump back to the previous chapter, Genesis chapter 14, we see a story of a battle and it brings out some interesting points about the idea of Adonai. And let me explain. Genesis 14, 14, when Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman, Lot, with his possessions and the women and the people. After his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Stick with me here. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything, and the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Anner, Eshel, and Mamre take their share. Now, as we look at this, Abram is in a position of supreme power over the king of Sodom. 
He's defeated him. He's conquered him. He basically owns him. And yet he does not exercise his power to destroy him. Think about that for a moment. Abram understands the concept of the owner-slave, the master-servant relationship. It was very typical in that day that either when you conquered an enemy, you slaughtered them, or when you conquered an enemy, you enslaved them, and you took everything that belonged to them. But Abram saw things differently. He understood the master-servant relationship. He knew also the duty of the master to protect, provide for his slaves. There is an awesome beauty in knowing that one has the ultimate power to annihilate and yet one shows mercy and grace. So in the next chapter, when Abram calls God Adonai, he's actually referencing this same concept because God, Adonai, is our ruler, our master, our king, our our, our conqueror, the one to whom we submit ourselves, and yet he chooses through relationship not to annihilate us. He provides for us. He protects us. Adonai comes from the word Adon, which is a singular form. It means master or lord. Adon can refer to men as well or can be used to refer to God. Adonai only refers to God. Pious Jews refused to pronounce the name Jehovah, Yahweh. When reading the Old Testament, they, when they come to the name Jehovah, they will read it as Adonai. In the Septuagint, Adonai and Jehovah are translated with the same Greek nouns, which signifies sovereign power, supreme authority, Absolute ownership. In the New Testament, Jesus is referred to 20 times as Savior and over 700 times as Lord. When the two titles are mentioned together, Lord always, always, <laughs> always precedes Savior. Now, here's where we talk about application. We've looked at the fact that Adonai, God, is our owner, our conquering king. He's the one who has ultimate power and ultimate authority. He's the one that we will either by choice or by force submit ourselves to. We don't like to talk about that God. We don't like to talk about Adonai. Because he scares us. We love to talk about Savior. Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? We talk about the gospel. And the gospel being that Jesus came to save us from our sins and that he takes care of us. And he's this loving, gentle, soft-spoken individual. We use the word Lord not even knowing what it means, but... Now that you know what it means and are 
accountable for what it means. Let me turn a light bulb on that in Scripture, every time the word Lord and the word Savior come together, the word Lord comes before Savior, Lord and Savior. He is our master, our owner, and our Savior. Think about the beauty of the word picture involved there. He's not only the God who owns you. He's not only the master to your slave. He's not only the, the, the conqueror to your defeated. He's not only the power to your submission. He is your savior. Adonai is a relational term. When we look at the word Adon, which is used over 300 times in the Old Testament, most often it refers to men. For example, in Genesis 18, Adon is used to talk about the husband being the Lord of his wife. It's often used, for example, in Genesis 23, a polite way of showing honor to someone. In Genesis 24, it's used as the owner of a slave. In Genesis 42, it's used as a lord over property, an owner over property, a controller over everything that happens on that property. Genesis 45, the lord of the house. In Numbers, Numbers 11, it's used as a title of veneration. And in 1 Samuel, it's used as a court term. Again, a term of honor. That's Adon being spoken of men, Lord, Master, Owner, Controller. R.C. Sproul said, the suffix A-I intensifies the meaning of the word Adon so that Adonai means the Supreme Lord, the Lord of all. This word stresses the sovereignty of God as all ruler. Now, Adonai is a plural term and not as an acknowledgement that there are more than one God. There isn't. The Hebrew people would be flabbergasted that anyone would consider that that's what they meant. They are not a pluralistic society. But the term used as a plural intensifies the meaning of the original. It's interesting to me that, that it's used plurally because we believe that God is one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We call that the Trinity. It's interesting to me that in Scripture, when something is repeated three times, it is exponential in its meaning, meaning, for example, when Scripture says, holy, 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 it intensifies with each term. It's almost like saying holy, holier, holiest is the Lord God Almighty. So we make Adon, which is a term used for men, and we make it the ultimate. We intensify it and make it plural, just as if we were saying holy, 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 or master, master, master. We say Adonai, which means Lord of all. Adonai depicts a sovereign master and implies a submissive servant. 
The servant can depend on the master to be faithful, to provide, to protect, to direct. And while Elohim speaks of God's might and power, Adonai speaks of his right to rule over us. Lordship conveys sense of complete possession of the servant by the master and complete submission of the servant to the master. In the New Testament, it's often mentioned that believers are bond servants. Paul was very fond of referring to himself as a bond servant. It's a reflection of Jesus as the Lord or master or Adonai. Adonai always has reference to headship and to God's purpose of blessing. Nathan Stone said Adonai signifies ownership or mastership and indicates the truth that God is the owner of each member of the human family and that he consequently claims the unrestricted obedience of all. Now, there are three basic characteristics of those who know God as Adonai, and you are going to know God as Adonai. Remember that you're not necessarily held responsible for something you never knew, but once you've heard it, you're accountable for it. So here we go. The first characteristic of those who know God as Adonai is they acknowledge themselves as his servants. When you recognize God as the ultimate king, the ultimate ruler, the owner, the very owner of who you are, you lower yourself. You humble yourself. Anytime someone has ever had a one-on-one experience with God, they have found themselves extremely wanting and lacking in their own abilities, in their own holiness, in their own righteousness, in their own importance. When you experience God, you recognize how minute and insignificant you are and how flawed you are in comparison with his perfection. One who knows God as Adonai acknowledges himself as Adonai's servant. He understands that Adonai is the owner of all and that he is a steward who has been declared worthy by him to serve and who counted a privilege to serve. The difference between a follower of God and a slave is that we recognize the value of our master. We recognize the value of our Lord, the worthiness of of our God. And we count it a privilege to serve. We don't serve with bitterness. We don't serve with, with irritation. We don't serve with a bad attitude. We count it a privilege to serve our master. The second characteristic of those who know God as Adonai is they understand that Adonai as master can supply all of their needs. This will include supernatural empowerment, enabling us to do the things that God has called us to do. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Psalm 68.19 said, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burden, the God who is our salvation. We understand that the God that we submit ourselves to is able to provide everything that we need. 
And here's an exciting one, the third characteristic of those who know God as Adonai. We recognize that we can do whatever God calls us to do. Philippians again, chapter 4, verse 13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. God is never going to call someone to do something and not give him the power and the ability to do it. How foolish would that be? Our God in his infinite wisdom does not set up his servants or his message for failure. He may ask more of you than you are capable of on your own, but he will always supply the need and will compensate for your inadequacy when the time is right. I look back at, at Moses at the burning bush when Moses began to make excuses as to God, you must be wrong. I can't do the things that you have called me to do. I am slow as speech. It's often believed that Moses had a stuttering problem. So here he is looking at himself saying, I can't do what you've called me to do. You want me to lead the children, out of, uh, children of Israel out of Egypt, but how am I going to do that when I can't even talk properly? And God said, did I not make your mouth? Ladies and gentlemen, if God has called you to it, God will provide the way to do it. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 26, I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people, even your inheritance, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. We recognize God's ownership and God's ability and God's all-consuming power. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. God has ownership and rulership over nations, kings, and rulers of the earth. Those who plot against him, God laughs at them because of his power. They are insignificant. Psalm 8, verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. Verse 6, you make him to rule over the works of your hands, you have put all things under his feet. Verse 7. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field. Verse 8. The birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. We acknowledge God's ownership over the earth, over man, over all creatures. Then we jump to Psalm 37. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees his day is coming. God has ultimate power over the wicked and even those who don't willingly submit to him, because one day they will. Psalm chapter 97, verse 5. 
The mountains melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. God has dominion over the earth. He created it. It is nothing in comparison with his power. We look at the mighty mountains. We look at the, the stones, the rocks, and we think that they are permanent. And we think that they are unshakable and they melt like wax at the presence of the Lord because of his ownership, his dominion over all things. This is the God we serve. Praise the mighty name of the Lord. Tremble, O earth, before the Lord. Before the God of Jacob, Psalm 114, verse 7. In Psalm 135, verse 5, it says, For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Mankind is infamous for turning things into God. They've carved things out of wood. They've carved things out of stone. They've, they've molded things out of gold. They have made imaginary gods. They've prayed to Mary. They've prayed to trees. They've prayed to everything in their rebellious hearts. But our God is more powerful. Our God is more glorious. Our God is more beautiful. Our God is greater than any God that man could devise. Malachi chapter 1 verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priests who despise my name. Jump to verse 14. But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it. But sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. Even as a son honors his father and a servant his master, Adonai has the right to expect respect and obedience. The priests brought reproach upon his name by failing to acknowledge his ownership of all that exists. In short, Adonai is the owner of all that exists. And so we pray, let the power of the Lord be great, just as you have declared. Numbers 14, 17. Exodus 4, 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Moses' hesitation to obey the call of God eventually ended when he acknowledged God as Adonai. Verse 11. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. This is one of my favorite moments in Scripture. As a man called by God to do things, I often look at my own weakness and my own inabilities and my own shortcomings, and I think, God, it's not possible that you have called me to do this. And just like God said to Moses, Paraphrased, obviously. 
When Moses is saying, but, 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 but I stutter. I can't speak. I've never been good at this. I never. Did I not make your mouth? Do I not have the power to make you mute or to cause you to speak? Do I not have the power to make you deaf or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? When you know God is Adonai, you know that he is able to not only conquer, but to provide. You know that he is not able only to defeat, but to protect. Ladies and gentlemen, the more we know about this God we serve, the more joy can fill our hearts and the more our faith begins to grow because we are not in this alone. The God of all creation, the God in whose presence the very mountains can melt like wax is on your side. You are not on your own. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You recognize that God is your Adonai. God is your Lord and your Master. Verse 20 for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Jesus is Lord of your life. It's not just a word. It's a position of power, of authority, of rulership, of absolute ownership. And you are in a position of absolute submission. Titus 2 verse 14 says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Is he your Lord? Is he the one to whom you give your highest allegiance? Is he the one who directs your life? We recently went through a very polarizing political time in the United States. And this is happening not just in the United States, but all over the world in different ways. But there were some who took a stand and said, I cannot follow this path because my conscience forbids it, because my understanding of God forbids it, because my commitment to God forbids it. And they were chastised and cast aside and cast out and ignored and excommunicated in many ways, from others who call themselves followers of Christ. And yet, they were following their understanding of who God is and what he wants. Ladies and gentlemen, is God your Lord? Is he the one to whom you give your highest allegiance? Is he the one who directs your life? The name Adonai challenges every person who calls God Lord. And challenges us to be willing to live in a way that demonstrates his lordship. In other words, the declaration he is lord must not only be with our lips, but has to be with our life. A dangerous deception is to call him lord, lord, but then to refuse to submit to him in loving obedience. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, lord, lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's a frightening warning because there are many who are convinced that they are children of God. But Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does look present tense, habitually. It speaks of the direction, not perfection. Speaks of obedience as a servant would obey their master or their Adonai. He who does the will of my father. Many, not just a few, but many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. It's the second time they've appealed to his lordship. Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Now notice that he does not dispute their claims. He doesn't say, no, you didn't do that. You may have done that. Oh, you may have prophesied in my name. You may have cast out demons. You may have performed miracles. He doesn't dispute that. He says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. We apply our understanding of Adonai by obeying him. By submitting to him with a willing heart and being grateful for the opportunity to serve him because of who he is. We say we serve God. What are we doing for him? Are we obeying his commands or are we letting other things arise in his place? Are we reaching people for him, which is his command? Or are we waiting for someone else to do that? I'm jumping ahead in the whole concept of no, pray, do, but you cannot know who God is without wanting to do something for him. Knowing who God is, recognizing him as your Lord, your master, your provider, your protector, causes a grateful heart and you want to serve him. Part of submitting to him is serving him. And serving him means more than wearing a Christian t-shirt. Serving him means more than listening to praise music. Serving him means more than going to Sunday school on Sunday or church on Sunday. Serving him means more than what, what radio stations your car is tuned into. Serving him means doing his will. Serving him means reaching people for him. Serving him means sacrificing things that you and your flesh want and taking that energy and placing it on him. Bowing your heart, not just your body before him. Bowing your heart, not just your words, before him. Recognizing him as your Adonai. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. Holy is his name. And submitting yourself to him. Heavenly Father, you are our Adonai. Our king, our righteous ruler. Worthy of dominion, worthy of power, worthy of ownership. You have conquered our hearts. Help us to see you as you are and submit our hearts to you. Gladly and with gratitude, 
because of who you are. God, let us see you, our Adonai, as not an oppressive king, but a king who uses his power to provide for and protect us and to empower us to do the things that you've called us to do. We are grateful for your lordship, for your kingship. Open our eyes on a daily basis to who you are. We ask this in the precious name of your son, Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach.